Hi, and welcome to the Insiders by Durham Lane, where we get perspectives from industry thought leaders about strategies that are unifying marketing and sales cycles to help accelerate growth inside your world. Simon and I were delighted to be joined for this episode by Jamal Reimer, founder of Enterprise Sellers. Over the course of a 20-year sales career, Jamal discovered the secrets of mega deals, a mindset that delivers back in multiples. Listen on to hear Jamal's story and his views on the characteristics of high-performance enterprise sellers, the Roger Bannister mindset, believing in the unbelievable, how to use executives effectively, and what to avoid when working with the C-suite. There's lots to unpack in this episode, so strap in and enjoy. See you again soon. Hello and welcome to The Insiders by Durham Lane, an industry podcast giving you the inside track on all things B2B sales and marketing. I'm your host, Simon Hazeldean. I'm an author, sales expert and keynote speaker on all things sales and negotiation. I'm joined by my co-host, the CCO and co-founder of Durham Lane, Richard Lane. Richard, great to be back in the studio with you for another Insiders episode. Do you want to tell us a little bit more about Durham Lane? before you introduce our guest for this session. Certainly, and hi, Simon. Great to be back. Just in brief, Durham Lane is an integrated sales and marketing agency. What does that mean? Well, we help our customers create always-on channels of meaningful and well-qualified sales opportunities that business development teams love to close. So everything demand and lead generation based. We're thrilled to be joined today in the Insider Studio by Jamal Reimer, founder of Enterprise Sellers. Jamal, welcome. I'm going to hand back to Simon and really looking forward to today's conversation. Thanks, guys. Great to be here. Wonderful. Thanks, Richard. Uh, Jamal, um, what we normally do with our guests is just so our listeners can get to know you a little bit. Could you just give us a bit of background and how you came to be in the role you're in currently? And I think that's going to be kind of important for (laughs) the topics around Mega Deal that we're going to be talking about. Sure. I was a 20-year individual contributor, enterprise seller. Uh, The first half of my career was very bumpy so bumpy, I was fired twice in a row for underperformance. Early in the second half, you know, that second decade of selling, I was fortunate enough to be mentored around how to sell really large deals. And over the course of that later decade, I was fortunate enough to close multiple, three different deals that were $50 million and higher of SaaS revenue. It's a short story. <laughs> That's a three impressive deal numbers, I think. So uh, I've been reading your book, Mega Deal Secrets. You can see from my bookmark, I'm about halfway through. Um, so I think it would be really helpful for our listeners if you could define what you mean by a mega deal. So you've, you've mentioned some numbers there, but what would be in addition to those? How would you kind of define that for somebody? Simon, it's a really great question because when when people read some of the posts that I do or the book, that eight-figure number gets stuck in their head. And that's not how I see mega deals. What I see as mega deals are deals that are significantly higher than whatever it is that you are used to selling in your selling reality. So um, part of what I do is coaching. And I've worked with coached reps who are used to doing 30K deals and help them get to 150 or some that are at 150 and they get to three or four million. So for me, the mega deal is not a nominal number or some kind of minimum number of zeros behind a number. It's 3x, 5x, 20x, the size of what you're used to doing or what's typical in your role or industry. 
Yeah, so that's that's going to be a little bit of a of a shift change for the seller, and I guess maybe for their organisation as well. Sometimes that this seller suddenly starts bringing in revenue, you know, ten times. That's probably going to be uh, an interesting, disruptive kind of moment for the individual and for the organisation. And so you mentioned, you know, your first ten years were kind of a little bit bumpy and challenging, and getting pushed a couple of times. Bless you for that one. But what was your first mega deal? What was that one that really shifted the kind of your perception and 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 your approach it was in 2012 and it was a an experience where we had a customer who had become a very dissatisfied customer and they were looking at options other than us and it was a renewal year in in what was typically three-year contracts and when i said i was mentored i i was literally <laughs> kind of taken by the hand by my head of sales and my head of professional services, both of whom were like 20, 30-year veterans of our industry, which was pharma tech. We, we sold to R&D organizations within the f- global pharmaceutical world. Mission critical stuff, really, you know, big, big clunky stuff. And it was over a nine-month period that the story really began, the story of the book. The, the book is the story of my first large deal. And things really solidified as the beginning of the story when we're sitting in a conference room on site with the customer, my head of sales on my right, my head of sales, professional services on my left, across the table is the, the customer team led by our executive sponsor. And we're kind of almost fumbling around trying to say, here's all the great stuff that we're going to do for you to try to keep you as a customer. And it was like shifting out consultants from offshore to onshore or a discount here and a discount there. And pretty soon into that conversation, the the executive sponsor put up his hands. He's like, guys, 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 this is not about changing out resources or discounts. This is about how we steward the most important IP of this company. And there was a long pause. And then the conversation really shifted. And after the session was over and, you know, me and the team were headed to the taxi to go back to the airport. My head of sales said, "Um, guys, uh, win or lose, we are up for looking at a very large transaction here. And I just kind of looked at them and I was like, where did you get that? They were, (laughs) they're not happy. You know, they're, they're going through all this pain and and we're the source of it. And I I don't get it. I'll be happy if we just keep them. And he said, didn't you hear what he said? He revealed the true in importance of the nature of this project, of what we're doing, whether we're doing it well or poorly in this moment, this is critical to the company, not just him or the project or et cetera. It's a massively important issue. And where there's massive pain, there's massive potential value. Well, what would you say were some of the key shifts that that happened? So, you know, you're looking at it as unhappy customer, we're going to be lucky to get a renewal. And the perception of your boss, etc. was different. What was that shift like for you? It showed me what I was used to doing was talking about products. And what the conversation quickly became, they were on a big ship and there was a big hole in the side of the ship. And all of a sudden, you know, your, your, your attention and your sense of what's important in life gets very, very focused when you're in a situation like that. And it made me realize that talking about products is like talking about, you know, how nice the wrapping around a package is rather than, you know, what's inside is this life-saving medicine that's going to help your infant son stay alive. 
that's kind of the two extremes of what kind of value proposition we're talking about. That's wonderful. I, I, I just, I would have uh, very much liked to have been a fly on the wall and <laughs> seen that shift taking. Richard, for you, in terms of what Jamal said, resonate with Durham Lane in terms of how you approach those conversations with customers? Yeah, absolutely, Simon. We have our Durham Lane mantra, and mantra number one is business fit, business value, uh, developing long term relationships. So, you know, actually understanding the defined need. You know, we spend our time at the very top end of the, the sales funnel looking for opportunity and qualifying that for our customers. So, our job is to pique people's interest and then convert that interest into meaningful opportunity. And for there to be opportunity, there has to be need. So, yeah, totally prescribed to what Jamal was saying there. And Jamal, I know you mentioned you do coaching. So through, uh, amongst other things, and as you know, sort of as the founder of Enterprise Sellers, you must have seen a lot of Enterprise Sellers. The group I'm particularly interested in is what we might define as high performance Enterprise Sellers. And uh, what would you see as the characteristics, be that sort of thinking approach or behavioural approach that would define them apart? These are the people who are going to possibly be able to do mega deals. So what are the kind of characteristics that you would commonly see? Great question. Two very different categories, but they relate. The most consistent characteristic is in the mindset bucket which is they're all trying to get to the top of a very tall mountain. They're focused on the summit. They're not focused on the middle part. They're not focused on the lowlands. They're focused on the summit of a very tall mountain. It's a mindset thing. You know, you've got choices in terms of who you prospect into. You could prospect into somebody in the lowlands. I lovingly call them worker bees, you know, folks who are button pushers. They do the jobs. They're individual contributors. They're moving pallets. They're writing reports. You could you could prospect in at that level, and you'd have very uh, a very limited conversation about what would be valuable to them. As an, they're looking for an easy button. If you can sell an easy button, they're going to love that. If you go to somebody in the mid in the Midlands, you know the <laughs> the mid level managers, they're looking for value for a team, right? A team of five or ten people, so to speak. But if you're very focused on the top of that mountain. Your value proposition for the same product as these other two guys is much more around uh, an outcome that can move the needle for a business unit or for an entire enterprise. So you say, what are the characteristics of top performers? Number one is mindset. That This kind of very, it's almost grand thinking, right? What is it that me or my company or products or any of this can do to significantly move the needle for the senior people within one of my accounts. But everything else after the mindset piece can vary widely. So if you if you go with this mountain analogy, you got three different sellers who are all focused on the summit. They might choose to get there three different ways, either time of year or what gear they use or which face they go up, which team to use. They can do it very different ways. I've seen mega dealers who are extremely systematic and they really shine at running a great process. I've seen other mega dealers who are world-class relationship managers, particularly through crisis and almost brinksmanship. And then there are other mega dealers who are really good at putting together a team in a way that they're mapping the right people and it becomes the most beautiful form of team selling. 
right? It's like these two teams that are interacting in a way that bring together these things. So I hope that's not too vague, but there really are these two different groups. One is very, very consistent about the mindset and the other are, they can all have different primary strengths in, in their methods and, and you know, that, that meet their personalities. But grand thinking, in your words, seems to be a very important defining point in terms of perception. I guess that sounds like what happened in the taxi on the way back from the client to the airport. Your colleague was grand thinking and you were, oh my goodness, we're going to be lucky if we keep this thinking. And the beauty of that, what you just called out, Simon, is at the heart of that little snippet is hope that lots of us sellers can do mega deals. We don't have to be born with the mindset. We don't have to be born with a personality of fearlessness or some kind of pixie dust that we can just kind of magically throw on our customers to enchant them. We can learn this. I learned this. I, the seller who was fired twice in a row for underperformance and was just about to get out of the whole gig of B2B sales. So it's absolutely fair dues to say, if I can do it, I don't know if I want to say anybody could do it, but lots of us could do it. Yeah. And I love that phrase, grand thinking. And I was just wondering, I agree, Jamal, anyone can learn it. I wonder whether you can forget it as well. If, you know, the environment that you're in, perhaps you might end up not grand thinking. That's also a great point, Richard. I've, I've seen reps who have done a single mega deal lose their grand thinking and either the environment will change or their territory will change or their boss will change or there'll be some change and they allow that change to lock them into a lower level of thinking. Yeah, interesting. I'm interested, Richard, as well, you, when you said that. I was just thinking about the importance of, you saw from Jamal, your example of your manager, that impact. And I'm just guessing if managers are going, hey, Jamal, can we get this to 75K? Can we get this one to 100? Can we get this one to 50? Rather than how do we revenue 5 million here? You know, and, and it will be the grand thinking, the managers starting to stimulate that thinking, which I guess is what you must have to do when you're coaching people as well. Um, you'll appreciate this. The, um, so there's many kinds of mindsets you can have. Some of it is about how to do something. You know, how am I going to approach this? And the other is more positive thinking. I can, I can, I can. All things are possible. Manifesting results I'm looking for, etc. But one of, the, one of the mindsets we talk a lot about is the Roger Bannister mindset, right? Incredible British story of the first person in human recorded history to run the mile in less than four minutes. And I call it the Roger, for those of us that might not know the story, you know, uh, Roger Bannister was a medical student and an amateur runner who also went to the Olympics. So he was no beginner, but through his own unorthodox training methods and mindset, he simply disagreed with a growing perception that potentially, maybe physiologically, it wasn't possible for human beings to run uh, a sub four minute mile. And he just didn't subscribe to that thinking. And he had his own methods of training. And on a subpar day at a track in the UK, on a soggy track, he made the decision 20 minutes before the gun went off to actually go through with it. And he did it. And then I usually ask somebody I'm coaching, I'm like, guess how long it took the next guy to do it? It was under two months. Yeah. And so once that record was broken, I think it's thousands. It's at least in the high hundreds, if not thousands of runners have broken the four-minute mile 
Just to credit my home track of Ifley Road in Oxford, that was uh, that was where we did it. Take a picture, put it in the show notes. Richard obviously would now lay claim to that result. <laughs> I used to I used to run around it myself, but not that sort of speed. <laughs> <laughs> and in your in your book, Jamal, uh, one one of the phrases that really struck me was executive whispering. So we're talking about you know thinking about the summit, aiming at the summit, and you're going to be having conversations about moving the needle. So you're talking to senior level people. So how do you approach coaching people around those kind of executive interactions, executive involvement? It, it's a bit of a process. It doesn't happen all at once. Um, the first level that we talk about is, hey, you don't have to do this by yourself. You don't have to overnight uh, change your mindset to the point where you are comfortable establishing what I call peer business relationships. You're not going to start feeling like you are a peer to somebody who's been in an industry, you know, 20, 30 years and, you know, they got a title five levels higher than yours, etc. And so the way to leg into this is by leveraging people around you who are aligned with you in your efforts who already have or who are closer to that peer business status. And the first port of call is your own executives. So what we talk about is ex this executive whispering is the art or science or mix thereof of working with executives on both sides of the table, the customer side and, you, and internal to your organization. And even though I've been doing it for a long time, sometimes I still let my executive and their executive have one-on-one -on -one interactions and I'm not even around. Don't need to be. It's a, it's a gradual approach. You can start by leveraging others and then as you start to be in those rooms where those conversations happen, the next thing is realizing what it's really like. It's like getting a peek behind the, the, the curtain, right? What happened with me is that when I started to get in those rooms, I started to realize, holy cow, executives are nowhere as intimidating as the mid-level guys who are using all this techno babble to credentialize themselves in front of large groups. And the executives tend to be, not everybody, but they tend to be plain talkers who use normal everyday language uh, to describe problems or opportunities or situations succinctly because there isn't a lot of time and they're not deep in the details, but they got to push the ball forward in the conversation. It's an interesting thing about deploying your own executives. I've often come across it as a, an area for, for significant improvement. I've been working with a client for about a year now, rolling out a key account management complete program and solution. And uh, their executive management team have been participating in a sort of a condensed version. And we were talking about this concept. And um, I said, you know, they may, because of what I've said to them, they might come and ask you more often to support them. I had all of the C-level in the room. And the CEO said, well, let me give you some feedback. I've been asked once in the last 12 months to go and visit a customer. And he said, I might not say yes, but they're not asking me. So, you know, I think it's a really, uh, a, a real opportunity sometimes, I think, that's missed Jamal. And, and Richard, it must be, uh, you, you might get your folks wanting to deploy your good self in, in their customers. Try and keep me away is the uh, problem, the uh, thing. So, yeah, no, we have a, I think we have a, a good understanding of that exec level up and uh, use it as best we can. You know, we're not a huge company, so we're, we're not an enterprise by any stretch, but we do our best to engage the right people at the right time. And I think we've shifted from a, and probably moved from a place where 
we didn't empower our execs enough and sort of the sea level took too much control and we've we're moving away so to become more supportive rather than to to own and and that's probably quite a, a big lesson as well jamal you mentioned sort of the process aspect and you know with your client base and and through enterprise sellers, you must work across all sorts of different sales processes, sales methodologies, sort of at a, at a meta level above that. What would you say are the common the common themes that you see rather than, you know, about MedPick or whatever as a methodology? Some of, the, some of the common themes that you think are helpful? Well, there's a few. I mean, clearly one is, so sellers who come to me are interested in doing outsized deals, right? They've reached some kind of a perceived ceiling in their own selling and they're trying to break through to get beyond it. And so that's the, that's the, that's the driver. And so if that's the interest, then one theme is the larger the deal, the higher in the org you're going to have to go to make it happen. And so if that is true, then the follow on is, well, how can we get higher in the organization as quickly as possible? Because the other thing is that most, well, sometimes they go faster. I was just talking with the COO last week about this. Sometimes the larger deals go faster if you're at the senior level. So there's all kinds of reasons you want to get to senior people faster. One is that if you go to the mid-level or lower, they 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 tend to be more risk averse. And that partially explains why they try to limit you or contain you and not let you um, engage with other parts of the organization or go above their heads. So it slows the process of engagement. But the other is, just as I said, senior people are accountable for outcomes. They're not necessarily wedded to how those outcomes are being achieved today. So they're more open-minded. So one huge theme is get to power as soon as you can. And once you get there, the second theme is what are you going to say? And what we can't do is rely solely or parrot the like the sales enablement materials we're given. They're they're good. I'm not saying they're not good, but they're just a platform, right? They're like that Lego base that you're supposed to actually build upon. You can't just take that the Lego base and make something. You need to put something on top. And the something on top is based on lots of deep, what I call research and discovery. Research is stuff you can read by yourself and access on the internet, like annual or quarterly reports or, you know, uh, investor day presentations and stuff like that. Discovery are things that you have to actually discuss with people. They could be employees within the account you're selling into, or they could be people within the ecosystem around that account. SIs, uh, board members, former employees or executives. You know, there's all kinds of people around the account who are, who are not direct employees. The biggest theme is the importance of getting to senior stakeholders quickly. The second thing is once you get there, having a compelling story to tell uh, what I learned from one of the greatest sellers I've ever met, her name's Marcy Akers. She's uh, at Oracle. She said, I don't even use the word software anymore. When I'm, when I'm having a presentation or a conversation with executives, I don't even use the word software. I either talk about the asset or I'm just talking about the outcome. Um, so those are two, two big themes that I would say. I guess you may have partially answered some of my next question is some of the common mistakes and failings that you see. And I guess we've, we're probably going to know aiming for the middle, not getting to power. What specifically, when people are in front of the power, when they are at executive level, what are some of the 
Sure. I mean, one big mistake, I think, is to take in your sales collateral and, and expect that to do the job for you, which is quite dangerous place, I think, to be when you're operating. A, in fact, taking in your PowerPoint slides at all would probably be a, a good idea, you know, to, to maybe give that an avoid. But other thoughts about what maybe some of the, the failings you'd see, the, the common things that you have to coach people around to improve? Two are really close to each other. One is staying in presentation mode instead of conversation mode. And very closely related to that is simply talking too much. A lot of sellers, particularly when they feel they're not feeling confident, they feel that the way to add value and credibility is to say more. And they talk, not not only are they talking about the product, but they're talking a lot about the product and deeply. And th there's this misconception that that kind of well, if, if you like this feature, you're really going to love this one. And, and they feel it's kind of like loading up, you know, a, a grocery cart full of goodies when instead you're just pushing that senior person further and further away. The opposite of that is to ask a lot of smart questions, pose some challenging or engaging concepts. And that's what ignites executives. They're like, ah, she's she's got a great idea here. And this is something that we want to talk about. And, and she's letting me do some talking too, because I got thoughts. Now you're engaged. And that's the opposite of the the failure that a lot of reps have, which is let me just, you know, rat-a-tat, get that my machine gun of features and functions out. It's, um, it's Forrester Research. I think it's been out a little while, Jamal. It would probably line up almost exactly. 88% of executive decision makers said they would rather have a conversation than a presentation when they're dealing with sales-related matters. So they, they understand the meeting is around selling something, but they'd rather have a conversation, which I think absolutely, absolutely backs up your approach. Uh, Richard Durham Lane's conversational selling kind of approach. How would you, I mean, because I guess that's one way it's my words for it, not not Jamal's words. Yeah, so our methodology selling at a high level is is very similar in terms of I said earlier business fit and business value. We we typically prospect into C level and they're going for, you know, this is why I'm writing to you, this is why we think you should be interested in, you know, this is what I'd like to happen next. So that's a, a little framework that we use, whether it be our voice or or email. So going in for Research and discovery, I, I, I think discovery is so important, isn't it? And I was once taught 95-5, so in that sort of senior stakeholder session, if I can talk for 5% of the time and they can talk for 95, then I'm in a winning place. And I, I don't actually think I've I've not won a deal where I've managed that at the early stages with the right level of contact. So, you know, it's free consultancy to qualified prospects, isn't it? Yeah, 70-30 is the one that I keep hearing about normal sales conversations. So um, I would definitely say the higher up you're going, uh, the percentage needs to be needs to be changing quite significantly. Mm. Uh, Jamal, uh, just a slight change of topic. You're also the, the founder of Outboundless, which is, is described as a creative outbound marketing company. What does Outboundless do differently, would you say, to other outbound marketing companies? I guess we come with a premise. So uh, I'm a co-founder. I'm, I'm one of a, I would almost say the main co-founder's name's Nathan Offner. And I'm a career seller who's always trying to find creative ways to engage people of capacity who are have lots of gatekeepers around them. A, an absolute tidal wave of fairly typical messages coming to them primarily through email or phone. And those are what I feel to be 
they're so commonly used, they're overused. And uh, executives build up a lot of callus to those mediums. And um, Nathan is a career outbound specialist. And basically what we've done is create uncommon approaches to connecting with people who we don't have any current relationships with, which are primarily a mix of creative items sent through the mail linked to a digital experience that's personalized to the individual. And so if you can imagine getting a fedora and a bullwhip in a box, you could kind of imagine what kind of adventure you might be setting yourself up for and interested to see what's the next thing that's going to be coming. So without giving any further details, that's the nature of what we do. Yeah, don't don't give away the recipe to your secret sauce, Jamal. That would be we we thank you for your generosity in joining us on the insiders, but I guess there's some secret sauce there that, that people will have to contact Outboundless if they if they want to know some more. I'm just envisioning that particular chief executive officer that I was mentioning earlier receiving that in a box on on their desk. I think that would be a kind of an interesting moment that I would probably pay money to see yeah. <laughs> uh, so that's that's absolutely uh, wonderful thank you uh, richard you're you normally give us a sort of like a the the richard lane summary of some of the key points from our conversation with our guests <laughs> yeah. you keep building this up simon so uh, i feel under pressure but um, <laughs> sorry Jamal, I, I loved uh, I loved your honesty at the beginning. Twenty year sales career, ups and downs. I, I wrote down ups and downs equals experience. Perhaps you wouldn't have got to be doing what you do now if you hadn't had the ups and the downs. So I always think that's worth reminding people that you know when times are tough, dig in. And uh, the great thing about the world of sales is that if you put the effort in and, and you think hard enough, then you will ultimately be successful. Understanding the criticality of the issue. I think so many people focus on product. This is brilliant timing because I've just come out of a big renewal conversation internally about one of our customers. And so it's got me with my grand thinking hat back on, which is uh, appreciated. But we talked about that shift from product to strategic business and um, we try and practice that here at Durham Lane with our, our first mantra. Really enjoyed the conversation around mindset. I think mindset is such a powerful tool across so many different walks of life, but sales as much as uh, many other professions, particularly if you think about sports, grand thinking, creating the right environment as a you know, as a business owner, then it's my job to create the right environment for people to be able to think in a high performing way and to be empowered to um, have that grand thinking and then believing in the unbelievable. So the Roger Bannister mindset, I think that was uh, a great thing to remind ourselves on is that just because something maybe is thought to be not possible doesn't mean that that is the answer. And then we talked about getting to power ASAP. So some of the I guess the, from a methodology point of view or from a, uh, an approach point of view, what are the things that we can, our listeners can take away and, and sort of do immediately? I love that idea of getting to power ASAP, and, but then also knowing what you're going to do when you get there. You know, it's that research and discovery before you get there. It's about not being in presentation mode and, uh, and definitely not talking too much. So listening, being that consultative advisor, I think that advisory role is, is so key. And here at the insides we talk about being the sense makers and the storytellers and i think that's pretty much in tune with with what we've discussed today jamal definitely no great rundown and i agree with everything that's wonderful richard thank you and, and jamal just before we go we've got a final question for you we are building the insiders spotify playlist and we're asking every guest to add a song to the very eclectic collection that we've gathered so far uh what is your chosen song 
Hands down, Eye of the Tiger. <laughs> yeah, very good. What a cracker. Almost burst into song then. That would be embarrassing. <laughs> it's the classic motivation before the sales pitch kind of music, is it, I think? So, so you've, uh... you've done your research and you've you've done some discovery and then you've got your senior C-level exec meeting sorted out. You press play in the car park before you walk in <laughs> and you're it. away. That's it. Wonderful. Well, thank you very much, Jamal, for joining us on this episode of The Insiders by Durham Lane. Thank you to my co-host, Richard. And thank you to you for listening in, as always, folks. If you'd like to subscribe to The Insiders podcast on your preferred podcasting site, you'll be notified of new episodes as and when they're released, which they are on a regular basis. And visit durhamlane.com to learn more about selling at a higher level. In the meantime, we'd just like to wish you all good luck and good selling folks the insiders by durham lane subscribe today to never miss an episode